What's good? I'm too hyped right now because it's the first episode of the Casual Fan Podcast. Now, I am your host, Wilfredo Venegas, but I understand that's a strange name for some of you guys, so you guys can just call me Will. And in this podcast, we will talk everything sports, but mainly about the NBA from the eyes of a Houston Rockets fan. Yes, I am a Houston Rockets fan. And as a native Houstonian, you know, H-Town, hold it down. I have been a Rockets fan my whole life. So I've been through it all. I've been through the highs and the lows. And let me tell you, there's been a lot of lows. So I could not think of a better way to start my first podcast, my first episode, than to have a whole episode dedicated to talking Rockets. And let me tell you, I'm excited about our first guest in the podcast, because not only Am I a fan of his because I listen to his podcast almost every single day when he posts? But we're also old middle school teammates and he covers the Rockets. So we're about to head into an interview with the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast, Jackson Gatlin. All right, guys, I am with the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast, my former middle school teammate. Shout out to the Johnston Greyhounds. I'm with uh, Jackson Gatlin right now. How are you doing, bro? <laughs> Bro, Wilfredo, I am good, man. Look, you are absolutely right. Shout out JMS Greyhounds, man. We go, we go way back for a minute. Twelve years, uh, but I, twelve years, man. Uh, but you know, and I'm so happy that we reconnected on Twitter. I, I remember the first day that you messaged me, and you were like, "Hey, are you are you Jackson from JMS?" I was like, "Bro, hell yeah!" Like it was, <laughs> it was so cool. And again, that's just one of like the small things that uh, you know I'm thankful for. You know having become the host of locked on rockets and you get people reaching out to you and they're like, Hey, you know, I, I know you from this, from somewhere. Right. And it's like, yeah, man, we go away. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm excited to be here to talk some rockets basketball with you, man. Uh, let's get to it. Yeah, bro. I, I was shocked to know that you were the new host, but I, but you've been killing it, bro. I've been enjoying the daily grind and the daily episodes that you have been doing, but today is going to be a very, uh, busy or eventful day for us, because if we are, fans of the Houston Rockets, then we went through a, a, a roller coaster today, Jackson. We went through, I don't know if you want to start with the good or the bad. Um, I'm going to leave that up to you. It's your show, man, whatever you're direction right, you right. want to go with. If you want to get the bad out the way, if you want to get the good news going and then save the bad for however you want to handle it, my man. It's funny because I'm so used to listening to you. So now we, I could actually converse with you. So, all right. So let's start with the bad. Let's start with the bad. So this morning, it's kind of poetic, right? Because yesterday was the anniversary of... Daryl Morey's iconic James Harden move. And today, hey, James, Har James Harden day. Absolutely. Yeah, 10, James Harden. Day. And today we find out that Daryl Morey has a five-year contract with the Philadelphia 76ers after he told and made a public statement saying that he just wanted a break. What do you think about that, bro? How did that make you feel? I know that hurt me. You know, at, at this point it's, it's kind of just more like salt in the wound because, you know, I had convinced myself as did many others that what was going on with Daryl was just some burnout, right? That he, yeah. you know, has been up against the wall of the golden state warriors for years. Um, you know, he's got an all time generational talent in James Harden, but they just, you know, just couldn't get the right pieces around him. Couldn't get over the hump. And specifically this past season with, 
all the the turbulence of COVID-19 and playing in an NBA bubble and being away from his family for, you know, three or four months, however long it was. Because again, there are there were a lot of executives that did not go to stay in the NBA bubble. And Daryl went with the team at the same time they did. There are other executives that joined, you know, later on when the playoffs started or right. as they made it to the second and third rounds. Um, but Daryl was there from the get-go. So he was there for three to four months. And to be separated from your family for that long. I know that it was hard for the players and that it was hard for anybody that did, you know, go through that. So it made, it made some sense that Daryl would want to, you know, maybe step away from the spotlight a little bit, focus on his family. You know, his two kids were taking, you know, gap years with school and just really focus on, you know, being a family man for a year before even remotely considering coming back to the NBA. And I was, I could buy that. I was like, you know what? Okay. I can respect that decision. You've given the organization 13 years as the general manager, 14 years, you know, with the organization in its entirety, with that first year being under, uh, at the time, GM Carol Dawson, uh, before he took over. And, you know, I can't be mad at more. He's done a phenomenal job for this organization. But then you find out that, you know, as soon as Doc Rivers made it over to the 76ers, <laughs> that that was kind of, that that was Maury's guy, that they go way back to the Boston Celtics days. And that that relationship is apparently really, really strong. And so you start, you know, the news starts coming out that there have been strong conversations going on there before you look back to a couple seasons ago, right after the 65 and 17 year with the Rockets, where they took the Warriors to game seven, the mm -hmm. 76ers were trying to pill for Daryl Morey that summer as well. So the ties have been there for a while oh, nice. between the 76ers and, you know, Daryl Morey, and not to mention Sam Hinkie, who started the whole process <laughs> situation with the 76ers in the first place, you know, was one of Maury's guys. So it, it's kind of poetic that he would go there to continue what Sam Hinkie started or to finish what Sam Hinkie started. Um, but it doesn't make it any easier for Rockets fans to stomach. And I think at the heart of it all, you have to look at why did he choose to leave? And I think the writing is now clear as day on the wall clear. that, ownership is is to blame for Clear. pushing Mike D'Antoni out for pushing Daryl Morey out um you know and they can you know Tillman Fertitta and the Rockets ownership can say everything they want that they you know had greenlit Daryl to spend money that they were that he was authorized to make whatever trades he wanted to but the optics are they constantly did whatever they needed to do to duck the luxury tax they have yet to to pay the luxury tax in the three years that Tillman Fertitta has owned the team. Hmm. And moving forward, I don't have any confidence in the organization to actually make the necessary moves to give them the best chance to win the title. Will they still be, will they still have a puncher's chance at a title? Absolutely. Because as long as you've got James Harden on your team, you have a legitimate puncher's chance at a title. But they have come up short because they have failed to, at the margins, put the talent around the, around James Harden and now Russell Westbrook that they need to succeed. And they've had opportunities to do so, but they've chosen not to because it would incur a larger, uh, you know, a larger payroll tax for Tillman Fertitta. So T today definitely hurt Jackson, but you said something that really resonated with me. And I honestly, I don't know how you feel, but I can't be mad at Daryl. To me, this doesn't this doesn't make me mad at Daryl. This just highlights the bad organization or the bad management that we have right now because Daryl loved the Rockets. I don't know. You and I are the same age, so we know Daryl Morey was the face of the Houston Rockets. I like he was he was the Rockets. He, he was with us for thirteen years, you know. So this tells me that something is going real bad up there real real bad up there for him to just leave to me that that's crazy i cannot picture the rockets without daryl more more than any player 
this has hurt me like like no other. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's been more of a cornerstone to the Houston Rockets than arguably James Harden has. Yeah, right? he's been here. He's been here longer. He's now. been here longer than James Harden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Maury has been here through three different iterations of the team through the tail end of the Tracy McGrady Yao Ming era, the Kevin Martin the era. era, yeah, the K the Kmart <laughs> hey, Kyle hey, Lowry hey, era. Don't call the Kmart um, era. A rebuilding <laughs> era that was a contender era <laughs> hey man I don't, I don't know about all that um <laughs> and then obviously the harden era right so um you know maury has been when you think houston rockets there are two names that jump to mind and it's uh james harden and daryl maury and in some cases yep. i think daryl maury jumps to people's minds first so you know thinking houston rockets basketball without daryl maury is such an alien concept but at the same time um you're right. I completely agree with you, man. I, I'm not blaming Maury for this whatsoever. He no. did everything in his power to try, you know, time and time again to put the right pieces around James Harden. And when given the right resources to do it, he had the best team in franchise history, 65 wins, 17 losses with that first year with Chris Paul. And then when they tried to run it back the next year and they chose to not re-up on Trevor Ariza, they decided to try and bring in Mello and Michael Carter-Williams and uh, James Innes on some really margin-level <laughs> contracts uh, to try and round out the roster. Uh, yeah, w- would would paying $15 million for Trevor Ariza have made sense? You could have argued against it at the time, but you were also coming off of a year where you had the franchise best 65 win season. You pushed the Warriors to seven games. I think any other owner, any other uh, you know general manager in the league at that time would have just said, run it back. Resign everybody, run it back. We don't care about the cost. We're going to try this one more time before giving up and blowing it up. Because at that point, I think Ariza's deal was like two years, uh, $15 million a year, I think it was. So you could have just dealt him as an expiring contract the next season if things didn't work out. It's not like it was an untradeable contract. And that was the beginnings of, hey, we're going to have to, you know, cut back a little bit on this salary because we just re-upped on a deal for Chris Paul, you know, four years, 160 million. We just re-upped on Clint Capella's new deal. You know, they were locked into a lot of these high level contracts. Well, Capella was four years, like 85 million, 90 million around there. Yeah. Plus the incentives behind it. So um, you know, even though they weren't directly in the luxury tax, um, you know, they were really close to it. And so the idea of paying, uh, you know, and at the time uh, was, I think, 32 year old Trevor Ariza, you know, 15 million a year was just not something the organization was willing to stomach. And that was kind of the start of the dominoes to start falling and, 100... and really seeing the organization Jackson, stepping away from what they needed to do. As soon as us as an organization, us as a fan base convinced ourselves that MCW and James Ennis were going to be a useful substitution to Trevor Ariza. That was our downhill. Because I remember when yeah, that, that, that started, was the downfall. I, I convinced myself. I was telling my friends, oh, James Ennis has slept on. James Ennis is 3 and D. James Ennis is a young Trevor Ariza. And we and Rocket fans have a toxic, uh, toxic relationship with this where we talk ourselves into believing every single year. But now it just feels like our organization is on fire is is literally on fire i don't know if you feel that same way but these last few days few weeks not having to coach for a month and a half which we will talk about to me it just seemed like the organization has been just burning it has not felt great and you know it seems like it seems like every week there's a new thing that comes out and it's you know at the rocket's expense um you know you know what let let, let, let me run something back maybe i feel 
that Houston sports are burning, bro. Cause I just can't take, there we go. I think that, I think that's the one, right. When you, when you, when you talk about also, not only all the, all the, the turbulence, the, the tumultuous off season, the Rockets have had so far, but also, you know, what's going on with the Astros, um, you know, probably losing George Springer, uh, you know, talking about the Texans and just how ever, you know, the Texans are straight up dumpster fire, um, which are worse to have, it's kind of nice to have the Texans take a little bit of the the uh, heat off the Rockets because of how messed up that organization's going on. So so that's been a little bit of a saving grace as far as Houston sports, but it really sucks because it felt like we were at the pinnacle of Houston sports there for a minute because, you know, Astros win the World Series, Rockets have a really really strong season. They come within, you know, we like to say a hamstring away a hamstring from a finals away. appearance. Um and then, you know, the uh, the Texans felt like they were on the come up with Deshaun Watson. Uh, you know, they, they had, you know, they had a young superstar quarterback at the helm and it really felt like we were entering a golden age of Houston yeah. sports. And then just two short years later, everything is on fire in the city of Houston. So, um, you know, not, not super great all around. Regardless though, we, we wish Daryl the best of luck in Philly. I think he is the best GM in the league. I do not care what anybody says when Daryl has something in mind, he gets it done. He gets it done. And I'm just, uh, I wish him well in Philly. I, I can't root against him. You know, Philly's going to be a team where I'm going to look closely to because I, I genuinely love Daryl Morey. Uh, you and I are both 25, 26, and that's 13 years of our life, bro. That's that's half our life. So I, I will always wish Daryl Morey well. But like I told you before, we have a tendency in convincing ourselves every year that we are title contenders. And today we, we did not only receive the Daryl Morey news, we also received the news that the Houston Rockets are no longer coachless. Now, I want to know your first reaction to that news, because I feel like this is where you and I are going to have different opinions, but meet at the same spot. So, so what was your first reaction? Thank God. Like legitimately (laughs) when I got the notification, um, you know, I I actually intended, uh, you know, it's the off season now. And so with it being the off season, you know, the episodes over at LOR rather than being five days a week, um, you know, they're a bit more uh, spread out. So, you know, anywhere from two to three a week now um, until the season kicks back up again, which we will, you know, be back at, you know, Monday through Friday, five days a week. And so I intended to delay recording today's episode just because I had this gut (laughs) feeling. I was like, I think there's going to, maybe there's going to be some coaching news today. And Lo and behold, I'm like out and about running my morning errands, like doing stuff. And I get the, the, the watch bomb about Daryl going to Philly. And I'm like, this is not the news that I wanted to talk about today, but I'm still glad I delayed recording because now I can talk about this. And so as I'm like wrapping up my errands and stuff, I'm still out and about and I'm heading on, I'm on the way home. And that's when the, uh, Steven Silas news drops. And I'm (laughs) like, great. They finally have a head coach. This is amazing. Um, it's amazing on twofold reasons because now I don't have to spend as much time talking about Daryl, which would have been a frustrating as all hell podcast to oh, do. For sure. Um, but legitimately it's just, it's been, you know, a, a ridiculously long wait for the Rockets organization. And because they're about to be, uh, faced with a very, very short off season with the idea that the NBA wants to restart, uh, December 22nd they needed to get the head coaching hire out of, out of the way as the first domino to figure out what direction the organization is going to go in. Are they going to bring in a center? Are they going to play small ball for the entire 48 minutes? What roster and personnel decisions are going to be made? What assistant coaches are going to be brought in? All of this needs to be answered, but yeah. none of it could happen until they brought in a head coach. And it follows all the news, you know, all the tea leaves have lined up. Uh, you know, it was down to Jeff Van Gundy and Steven Silas as the final two candidates. 
And I'll be upfront, even like myself, I was leaning Jeff Van Gundy originally. And my re and I, and I still kind of stand by that reasoning, but I'm not up. I wouldn't have been upset with either candidate. I'm excited at the idea of, uh, of Steven Silas. I almost said Paul Silas, his father, um, yeah, former yeah. NBA player, NBA head coach and coach. Um, but, uh, legitimately I'm excited by the signing because like I, like I've said over at LOR, it makes a great deal of sense to bring in a young, innovative mind like that, because even though he's going to be a rookie head coach, he's been kind of a head coach in waiting for some number of years. Now he's been, uh, you know, in the NBA since he could walk because of his father. Um, you know, he's been in and around NBA talent, teams, agents, all that stuff. Um, had his first job as an assistant coach at the time at 27 years old, which at the time was the youngest assistant coach in NBA history um, until J.B. Bickerstaff took over that position at, uh, at 25 years old as the yeah. youngest assistant ever. Um, but legitimately, you know, Jeff Van Gundy would have been interesting. I think he might have, you know, he would have obviously been a more defensive minded guy and, you know, come in and, and short up the Rockets defense. So when you but, got that, that bleacher report notification that we all get, what yeah. were, were you like, yes, were you excited or were you just, huh? No, it was, it was definitely excitement. It, it really okay. was, um, you know, because at the end of the day, when you have a player of James Harden's caliber, um, you want to just do what you can to give him the best chance to win. And I would have felt, uh, equally as confident in a, in a Jeff Van Gundy hiring as I would have a Steven Silas hiring, at least for the here and now, but for the future of the organization, I think Steven Silas makes more sense. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the terms are on his contract, what, how many years it is, um, all that good stuff, because let's face it, James Harden has one to two years left of his prime, probably mm. give or take. Um, he's a star that will gray will age gracefully Graciously, because his, sure. his his game is predicated mostly on skill and much less athleticism. But Father Time will eventually catch up to him, and specifically, his contract has two more years that are locked in confirmed before he gets to his player option in that final third year. So I think the Rockets have a legitimate window of one to two more years with James Harden before they look to either trade him potentially and start a rebuild or before he looks to just walk away in free agency. And Steven Silas is the guy that you definitely want at the helm for that stretch, as well as for the stretch post Harden. Jeff Van Gundy is not a guy that I would want heading a rebuild for this Rockets franchise. And so I like the Silas signing because it's kind of a twofold element of giving them the best chance to win right now, as well as prepping the organization for the not so distant future, which will potentially not include James Harden somewhere down the line. I'll give you my initial reaction. Yeah. Well, what, what do you got going on? I went to my pessimistic side and I said, here we go. Penny pinching again. That was my first reaction. I, it, okay. Granted, I don't feel that way anymore, but when I, cause JVG was the bigger name. JVG was the bigger price tag, but JVG had was, was to me had a more established presence in the league already. That was my pick. JVG, Jeff and Gundy. I feel like the Rockets needed a complete identity shift from being an offensive juggernaut to being a, de uh, a defensive minded team because we are going to be a top five offense no matter what. And I, I, everybody thinks I'm crazy for saying that. But if you have James Harden and Russell Westbrook on your team, you will be a top five offense. I, you're, go you're just going to be a top five offense. I really wanted JVG to come here and just to kind of have a culture change. And I feel like JVG 
had the kind of reputation to tell James Harden, to hold him accountable, to hold Russ accountable. That was my first reaction. I was like, okay, we're penny pinching again. Uh, Tillman doesn't want to pay up. So we got Silas. Now, I talked my way into it. <laughs> Always talk my way into it. Absolutely. The Mavs were ridiculous last year. Offensively, the Mavericks were ridiculous last year. And by all accounts, Silas was an integral part to that. And I'm starting to think, as amazing as Mike D'Antoni was, imagine a Rockets team with an offense that moves. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it, and I, I probably should have dropped this line on Locked on Rockets, but I think <laughs> Mike D'Antoni is a... Mike D'Antoni is a player's coach that is masquerading as an offensive genius. Um, mm. He is somebody who enables his star players, who gives them uh, the utmost confidence and you know ability to be themselves on a basketball court, which is not a bad thing. That's a At great all. thing. I, I, think, I think that's a great thing. Yeah. But it's also a double-edged sword because I do think that he gave James Harden a bit too much free reign to, to run things pretty much exclusively how he saw fit offensively. And, you know, you, again, we hear for years, Mike D'Antoni, he's an offensive genius, offensive guru, all this. And yet for some reason, the Rockets weren't able to come up with anything in the playoffs against the, the Lakers, you know, uh, aggressive trapping, you know, the flash doubles against James Harden. And, you know, you'll hear all day long on Rockets Twitter and, you know, from other, from other fan bases that, Oh, well, the Rockets, you know, they had a four on three advantage and it's not, you know, how can you ask, that James Harden do more. I'm not asking for James Harden to do more necessarily. I'm asking for Mike D'Antoni to scheme a little bit differently because after watching those four on three scenarios not pan out continuously throughout these games where they're just not able to convert because not only was it the flash doubles the Lakers were using, they were also using a really effective defensive scheme called peel switching. And what peel switching is, is when it's done properly, it looks a lot like the Rockets switching defensive scheme. But the idea behind it is as soon as your man beats you off the dribble, rather than turning and chasing and trying to recover, you just immediately switch to the next guy on the perimeter. And then whoever the man is behind you steps up, picks up the driver, and then it's just a smooth rotating defense. Mm. So when done properly, it looks like they're switching everything, but they're really not. It's a man-to-man defense where they switch as soon as they're beaten. And because of that and the flash doubles that were utilized by the Lakers defense, the Rockets were befuddled. And again, you've got Mike D'Antoni, who's supposed to be this offensive guru on the sideline, can't come up with anything to beat it. Can't come up with running James Harden off a couple down screens. Can't institute any dribble handoff to try and get James Harden the ball quickly rather than being trapped out, you know, 30 feet away from the bucket. Um, and I get that Russell Westbrook should have been able to take more advantage of those opportunities, but he also wasn't 100%. Not at all. You know, and, and Russ is the first star that I've seen in the league that when injured, his game just deteriorates across the board. Like it's, everything, mentally, physically, everything. Absolutely. Yeah, it just it all it all fell apart. And I do still hold out a little bit of hope that a healthy Russell Westbrook can still be a dominant force which, in the which NBA. We're gonna get there. Um, we're, de- we're definitely gonna get there because yeah. like I told you, I convinced myself. I I I I, I think that we have uh, uh a chance. We definitely have a chance, right? But I do want to say this. I know you are tired of watching James Harden. And under Mike D'Antoni's system, either if he's not bringing it up, he's standing in the corner. If he gets doubled, 
He he tries not he if he doesn't have the ball, he does not try to move. I feel like we're not going to see that next year. I generally feel like we're not going to see that next year. What do you think? It's it's going to be very telling. And it's a great thing you bring this up because what we're going to see is if we do see it next year, then I think it becomes 100% proof that it's a James Harden thing and not a Mike D'Antoni thing. If we don't see it next year, then I think it proves that it was a Mike D'Antoni thing and not a James Harden thing. So if if this next season we see James Harden operate a bit more off ball, um, you know, be be the screener on some some action, you know, on the weak side away from the ball. Again, similar to how, and this is the best part, right? Is looking at Steven Silas and what he was able to do with the Dallas Mavericks and specifically Luka Doncic as the engine of that offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Luka and Harden are very similar players. Luka having gone so far as saying that he models parts of his, his game. game after James Harden. So imagining what he's able to do with sophomore Luka Doncic, uh, you know, he's going to have in the smack dab middle of his prime, James Harden, who is Luka on steroids, basically. Yeah. So you're going to have James Harden at his disposal. And, you know, Luka wasn't just, wasn't exclusively, just a primary ball handler. Luca was actually, he would get, he would be utilized, you know, off ball a little bit as a screener, you know, be receive passes on the perimeter and then be able to attack from the wing instead of constantly, you know, facing down the defense from the top of the key. Um, you know, all these different looks that they ran and specific sets to get wide open shots. Um, you know, it, if you're listening to this and you're not already doing it, I highly suggest you follow Disney Gary Clark on Twitter. I do. Um, he's <laughs> one of the best followers on rockets on rockets, Twitter. Um, and he's already sending out, tweeting out some videos of the Dallas Mavericks offense from this past season and sets that he's a big fan of that we're more than likely going to see here in Houston this next year. Um, sets that have so much motion to them that it's unbelievable how night and day it looks from a Mike D'Antoni offense where there might be an occasional flare screen on the baseline for an open three-point shot, but there's very little cutting towards the rim. There's very little dribble handoff, um, you know, and all the action runs through one of James Harden or Russell Westbrook. And I do think we're going to hopefully, fingers crossed, move away from some of that and become less predictable because at the end of the day, the Rockets offense has been largely very predictable for four years in a row now, which is a testament to how great James Harden is because even though he you still know gets exactly buckets. what he's trying to do, Drops they still 35. put up historic offenses every year. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm all in on Silas now. I'm all in on Silas because of what you said, because I feel like Harden's going to have to buy in and have to move and have to be differently. But the reason is I think we are contender is not because of, what Harden can do, because we already know he's he's phenomenal. But Russ, what we saw from late January to March was an absolute monster. And if we have that a whole season and in the playoffs with a Harden who decides to move off ball, please move off ball. We have we have potential. We definitely have potential. What do you think? I I have a very much, very much so a love hate relationship with Russell Westbrook because the best version of Russell Westbrook is easily can, can be the best player on a championship level team. Like that's cut and dry, super simple. The worst version of Russell Westbrook can be so bad that he can drag down a team that shot over 40% from behind the three point line and led for much of a game two against the uh, title favorite LA Lakers and drag them down so bad that they lose game two. We That's saw how it. We, bad. We bad saw it. Russell, yeah, we yeah. saw it. We saw it in the series against the Thunder. 
when he just yeah. had the costly turnover. We saw it. Ab- absolutely. It's it, it's it's just unfathomable how uh how large the or how wide the spectrum is of how how well he plays. And that's that's the biggest issue is with Chris Paul, you know, the floor is higher, but the ceiling is not the ceiling's not as high as Russ and the floor is definitely higher. So the bad Chris Paul, not as bad as bad Russ, the good Chris Paul, not as good as good Russ. But you get more uh, you get less variance with Chris Paul. You get you get a certain amount of player most of the time. And then with Russ, you get this varying degree, which is why that stretch you mentioned from January to, from the beginning of January, almost really almost the, I think specifically a lot of people remember January, February, but it kind of started at that tail end of December. But for context, we'll just say from January to February, those two months of the season yeah. before the uh, COVID hiatus. Um, that stretch of the season was so impressive to me because it really felt like Russ made a mental shift to become the best, most efficient version of himself. And that was, you know, not shooting as many three-pointers, focusing on driving to the rim, uh, limiting turnovers, uh, just every aspect of his game seemed to suddenly start flourishing. And if it had only happened for a week or two weeks or maybe even just a month, then maybe you write it off as just, oh, he just had a hot streak during the season. But two straight months of that level of play is nothing to turn your nose at. It's something that can potentially be built upon. And the fact that he not only was diagnosed with COVID and then potentially had some lingering side effects from that, but then also hurt his quad upon the NBA restart, that sucks because we didn't get to see that version of Russell Westbrook continue to build on that level of play. And from every Thunder fan that I've spoken to or media member that I've chatted with, They've all said the same thing that Russ is very much a rhythm guy that he takes, you know, a month or so month, sometimes two months to really get into the flow of the NBA season and get his body um, into NBA conditioning shape. Because let's face it, Russ is a guy who's got like negative percent body fat on him. And I've, I've heard that he sometimes comes into training camp a little bit too strong. Like he's worked out so much over the summer that his body is a little bit too big and he's a little bit too bulky and not able to be as agile as he needs to be to be the most explosive version of himself. And so for a guy like that who has to almost work himself out of shape, I guess a little bit, that's a weird way to put it. <laughs> but, you know, for a guy who needs that, those NBA level reps for a month or two to really get in shape and then start having that rhythm in, you know, incorporated into his game makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think a lot of people are also forgetting that Russ, this was his first year with a brand new team away from the team that he called home for his entire NBA career. And he also didn't get to play any five on five basketball coming into the season. So he didn't have all those summertime reps that he normally gets. So I think we're poised to see not necessarily, I don't want to call it a bounce back season for Russ because it's not like he had a bad season last year, but the the narratives are lining up for the potential for Russ to have a bounce back year similar to that of Chris Paul with the Thunder. Crazy, where, that, crazy that you need a bounce back year when you average 27, 7, and 7, huh? <laughs> right. I mean, um, but but legitimately, you know, you look at, you know, the, the playoffs were really rough for him. The NBA restart was rough for him. And that's what people are going to remember. People yeah. aren't going to remember the 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 season before COVID because that's been so long ago that it almost doesn't count at this point. So people are going to remember what they, what you know, again, recency bias, all that good stuff. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense that if Russ is able to have this offseason to really uh, recoup and, and get his body back where it needs to be, that he's still capable of putting up those numbers or at least similar numbers to that. And I'm not expecting another drop off from James Harden. So if this team runs it back, um, you know, with a few more added pieces, uh, they can still 
have a legitimate shot at a title. And that's not cautious optimism. That's not blind optimism. That's just facts. You know, the yeah. Lakers series was not as, um, you know, the Rockets weren't as outclassed by the Lakers as some fans like to make it seem. So definitely Russ has to, uh, well, not has to, he will have a bounce back year because we will have a healthy Russ with hopefully no quad injury and definitely no COVID. But uh, before your first guys heard it yeah, here first. Yeah. No, no quad injury, no COVID. But before I, I let you go, I, I would like to ask you a couple of things. Um, I am a strong believer that the Rockets will finish in a top three, top two seed in the West. And that we are a top three team in the West, not just on paper and not just in the standings, but as a whole, I am tired of people saying that the Rockets aren't contenders. I personally, because of the Silas thing now that I'm bought in, because we have two MVPs, because I feel like we have the greatest offensive player of all time, I think that we are a top three team in the West. What do you think? Uh, can, I, can, I sell, can I sell you on it more? Sure, go for okay, it. Okay, so, so obviously Lakers, we're going to have to put them above us, right? Lakers are number one. They disrespected us in the playoffs uh that's a whole different topic they, they disrespected us in the playoffs so we're gonna i'm gonna put them first can i say that the clippers are better than the rockets i can't let me tell you why they lost in the same round as us to a worse team than us they they were literally humiliated went through a coaching change and have have uh issues in the locker room i can't definitively say that the clippers are better than us can i say the warriors are better than us no i can't clay thompson hasn't played basketball in over a year Draymond hasn't played basketball in a year. Curry's been doing God knows what. Can I say that the Nuggets are better than us? The Nuggets every year try to avoid us, Jackson. You know this. Every year they try to play with the schedule to not play us in the playoffs. I will play devil's advocate and say that every year that they've tried to avoid the Rockets has only been because they've had Clint Capella, and Clint Capella takes Nikola Jokic's lunch money every time they play against each other, and that is no longer a reality, unfortunately, we, we, for the Rockets. We didn't have Clint Capella this year. Yeah, and but they weren't trying to avoid the Rockets this year. They, they were. They they were. They absolutely were. A Jokic on Harden, I'll take that. I'll take that. A Jokic right. on Harden, I'll take it. I'll take it. You're not, you're not selling me on that one, unfortunately. I think the um, Nuggets would have been fine with a Rockets matchup this season. I'll give you that. Uh, that that's where I'm at on that one. I, but, would take, I would take a Nuggets matchup 10 times out of 10. Oh, I, I would too. But okay. I, I, I'm not saying that the Nuggets are right in that thinking. I'm just saying that they weren't actively Avoiding. trying to avoid the Rockets this time around. Like whether they were wrong or right in that assumption, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying they weren't actively trying to avoid the Rockets this year, mainly because of the Clint Capella deal. In fact, you can go, you know, galaxy brain, you know, nuggets and talk about the fact that they jumped in on that four team deal to help facilitate uh, Clint Capella to Atlanta and Robert Covington to Houston because they specifically wanted Capella out of the Western Conference that's, that's, because that's he's true. such a mismatch for Nikola Jokic. That's true, but remember in the bubble they were sitting out a lot of starters in order to to play for this, to play for a seed. You remember that they, they were that they, they were they were sitting out their starters, Jackson. I'm that's, telling that's you, I'm fair, telling but the, you, they're the, avoiding. The, the, the Rockets also got locked into the four or five matchup, like you know what, three games left in the in the no. eight seeding games with with a day or two left. With one or two games, I'm telling you, right? That because I always laugh of the, the Nuggets really try to play the schedule. They try to play the schedule. So, so, anyways, do you think the Nuggets are better than the Rockets? No, I do not. No, the Clippers. Did I sell you on the Clippers? Not particularly. Let me <laughs> let me just let me let me give you where I'm at. Right. Go ahead. As far as the West goes, I don't want to specific. I don't want to sit here and say that the Rockets are top three. 
if only because the way that I envision the West is that mm-hmm. there is a t- there's there's three tiers in the Western Conference, right? I apologize. There's four tiers in the Western Conference. Tier one is the Lakers. That's it. Tier one, just Lakers. I, I would agree. I would agree. You got me there. Tier two are all the uh, I don't want to call them the pretenders, but they're the I they're the teams that believe that they are contenders, and that includes. The Clippers, the Rockets, the Nuggets, the Jazz, um, basically everybody that we saw in this year's playoffs minus the play-in teams. So seeds two through seven in this year's playoffs. Port- Portland, and, might, Portland might have something to say about that. And they can say everything that they want to, <laughs> but they played like they, they played horribly all season and they had to rely on the bubble format to let them have a chance to play in the playoffs. So um, Portland can, uh, I'll, I'll just hang up if Portland starts blowing up my line. Um <laughs> And then there's the the teams that are fighting for playoffs spots. You know, the the young up and coming teams, the Grizzlies, the Trailblazers, who are at the tail end of that pack, who have kind of fallen off. You know, this past season, uh, the Kings, the Pelicans, all of them, uh, the Suns in that in that mix as well. And then there's the one or two teams in the West that have no shot at the playoffs at the very bottom of the bracket. The pretty much just the Timberwolves at this point. Because I also I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and factor in the Golden State Warriors into that two through seven lineup of potential contenders, because even though we haven't seen clay play in a year, even though we haven't seen Draymond in a year, we don't, you know, Steph Curry, whatever, all that stuff, you have to give the warriors some level of respect because that team is the team that put up 73 and nine, right? That, that team is the team that won a title without Kevin Durant, you know, against LeBron J like that team is still stacked. Um, And even though they don't have quite the same depth that they did before, if, if healthy, that team is still an elite team. So elite. that that's kind of where my head is at. It's tough to say, are the Rockets a top three team in the West? Because I do think that they're on very equal footing. As tough as it is, as it is to stomach, it's it feels like they're on very equal footing with all those other teams that I named in that like two through seven bracket, plus the Warriors who just weren't there this year. Um, and that's where I come from as... Again, both being a Rockets fan, but also trying to separate my biases at times and trying to take a step back and, you know, take off the rose tinted goggles for a minute. Um, I don't think that the Rockets are leaps and bounds better than any of the other teams in that bracket. I think if you put them in a seven game series against most of those other teams, it would go about six, maybe seven games. Um, And they displayed that against the Thunder. The fact that this Rockets team has issues closing out games. That's the oh, hardest but, part. But, is, is but they, the, the the Thunder series was just a trap all around. That was just oh a it absolutely oh it absolutely was no for <laughs> sure. But 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 are you telling me that the, that the Rockets would have fared any better closing out a game against some of these other teams? I mean, you see how clutch the Nuggets were in in having not just one but two three one comebacks in these past playoff series. So you know the the can we definitively say? that the Rockets are better than the Nuggets? I don't think we can. I also don't think we can say that the Nuggets are definitively better than the Rockets. I think they're all kind of on equal footing at this point. And next season, especially under a new head coach, will be very telling as we start to see what this Rockets team is able to put together and what the pro- the final product is going to look like on the court. Um, but no, I, I don't think that the Rockets are technically top three because I think there's only one clear-cut above everybody else with the Lakers. And I think a lot of the other teams are on equal footing. I, I appreciate your, your diplomatic answer. I really do appreciate your diplomatic answer, but everything you're going to be like, like I, I appreciate it, but I respectfully <laughs> decline and I'm going to stop listening to your podcast. I'm hitting. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, right I, now. I, I unsubscribed already. Oh, uh, once <laughs> one star reviews and everything. No, but, but let me tell you after the Lakers, I do think there is 
there is two there's three tiers like like you said but i think that the second tier is only the warriors the clippers and the rockets i don't believe in the nuggets i don't believe in the jazz so i i i think that there is an argument to be made at least an argument you know what stop it not even an argument i'm gonna say it with my chest the rockets <laughs> are a top three team in the west I pray I appreciate you standing by it, man. That, that, that's what you got to do, right? Is you if you have a take, you stand by that take until you are presented evidence otherwise, well, and that's what I appreciate. That I don't even I, I don't say even say it with your chest. I yeah. don't even think it's disrespectful. I think we are being disrespected because we're not even considered a top four in the West. Did you know that we were we're not even considered a top four in the power rankings. And I do think that part of that is, you know, one, I, first off, I don't usually buy much stock into power for rankings sure, at all, because sure. again, most of it, most of the time it's just clickbait. Um, and also you have to look at it, you know, from the angle of, you know, this, this past season specifically the Rockets. Yeah. They were a sixth seed um, going into the hiatus because they had dropped those uh, four games right before the season was suspended. And then thank goodness they picked up that W against the Timberwolves right before everything uh, hit pause because of COVID. That was but bad. They, that was a bad four were, game stretch. They were sitting uh, comfortably after February before that four game skid, they were comfortably in the third spot and had they beaten the Clippers right during, during that, that loss against the Clippers. Cause first they lost to the Knicks, then the Clippers. Then I believe it was the, it was magic. It was magic and Hornets back to back. I can't remember which one came first, but those were the four losses, but going into that Knicks game, had they won the Knicks game and had they beaten the Clippers in that following game, they would have been the second seed in the Western yeah. conference. There was a clear path. Dis- the discussions about this team would have been in worlds different during the hiatus had they gone into the hiatus as the second seed and not had that skid and dropped all the way to sixth and then been talking about, oh, well, the Rockets aren't re- a real contender. No, they have one of the top four players in the NBA in James Harden. They have another top 15 player in Russell Westbrook. And they, both of those guys are former MVPs who on any given night can take over a game and be your best player on the basketball court. There are still nights where Russell Westbrook can be a better player than James Harden on the basketball court. It's possible. And those games are you know few and far between because of how good James Harden is on a consistent basis, more so than Russ. Yeah. But legitimately, they are a very talented team. They just don't have the depth or the coaching, at least yet, TBD that we see, that, that we that we know, yeah, that we know that that uh, we know that we know of compared to some of those other teams, and mm-hmm. it's also not fair to compare, say, the Utah Jazz who lost Boyan Bogdanovich, or I apologize, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, you know, taking, you know, doing having a having season-ending surgery. He was, uh, you know, their leading scorer, I think, at you know, slightly over twenty points per game, and they had a really great dynamic with Rudy Gobert being their defensive anchor, running the two-guard system with Mike Conley and uh, Donovan Mitchell. And then they had Bogdanovich in the starting lineup alongside um, Joe Ingles, I believe. Or actually, I I apologize. I think Joe Ingles was sitting on the bench. I'm trying to remember who they had at their starting three spot. Um, But they had a really strong, well-put-together roster and were making some noise until Bogdanovich went down to injury. So I I don't think it's fair to the Utah Jazz to completely dismiss them. Um, Quinn Snyder is an amazing coach. Mike Malone is doing great things with Denver. Uh, you know, and Denver's got a lot of depth. They've got some questions to answer this offseason with Paul Millsap, but legitimately, that's just where I'm at trying to be a realist about the Western Conference. Is I do think a lot of those teams are roughly around the same talent level, and it's going to be interesting to see how this next season progresses because some of those teams will drop off a little bit. Some of them won't be able to replicate what they did this last season, and there's a very legitimate possibility that the Rockets 
are one of those teams. And that's a reality that we have to prepare ourselves for is maybe the Rockets aren't a top four team. Maybe they are going to, you know, slot into the five, six, or seventh seed again this next season um, and have to fight their way up through the playoffs. But it's the, 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 the idea that they are not contenders, though, um, that's the one that I'm not going to agree with as far as just what, you know, what the national media pundits and stuff are going to put out there because every year there's only one or two teams that you can like deem legitimate contenders. And then everybody else has a, again, a puncher's chance at the title. And I think going into this past season, a lot of people had the bucks, the Lakers and the Clippers as kind of the top three. And then there were a bunch of other teams that really wanted a shot at the title and the Rockets were kind of in that mix as well. But then the bucks and the Clippers proved to be fake. They were fraudulent. Yeah. So, you know, how, how much stock can you really put into these preseason predictions of how good these teams are going to be? Because at the end of the day, it's about whether or not you have what it takes to succeed when the lights are brightest in the playoffs. And the Clippers and Bucks definitely didn't have it, but neither did the Rockets. So. Okay, so that you actually put another question. I have two more questions for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, does Harden have what it take, what it takes to win in the playoffs? Yes. Does he have and what it takes to bring it home? Yes, uh, absolutely. And, and I think that, and I, I've been, a, I've been a harsh critic of, of Harden at times, you know, wondering, does he have, you know, for lack of better terminology and, you know, of course, RIP, um, but does he have, you know, the quote unquote Mamba mentality yeah. that you see out of some players like, um, you know, Jimmy Butler, for example, you know, I was hurt. That, I was hurt that, this last season, man. I was hurt this last season. I'm sure you were too. Um, you know, and everybody likes to point to, you know, does, you know, where's, where's James Harden's, um, you know, signature playoff moment or signature playoff game. And first off, he has a signature playoff moment. Now the block on Lou Dort will forever <laughs> go down in history. Um, James Harden, you know, arguably the greatest offensive player in NBA history, whose you know, career, you know, potentially a career defining moment is a game seven ceiling block is hilarious. Um, but that just shows the growth that he's had in the NBA bubble and through these past playoffs, seeing the growth that he displayed defensively. And I think maybe he's starting to realize that for him to be that guy, for him to be able to carry a team home, he needs to be as responsible both offensively as he is, or as much offensively as he is defensively for the success of this team. Um, you know, hearing him preach defense all throughout the playoffs was uh, a very refreshing thing to hear coming from your star player, your franchise guy talking about, we're going to win with defense, but I do think he has what it takes. I just think that time and time again, his teammates have come up short. You know, he can only do so much. And even, even with me, you know, and, and other, you know, other talking heads, you know, discussing the fact, oh, well, he needs to move off ball more. He can't just be content with sitting at the half court line. I mean, yes, I would love to see him be slightly more involved in the offense. But at the end of the day, if James, if James Harden generates you wide open three-point shots and your teammates yeah. just can't hit those shots, what else can you do? The man is getting you wide open looks and you're just not making the shots. It's the same thing as all the times that LeBron James has come up short where LeBron James is the offensive system his, himself. Mm -hmm. And if his shooters don't hit shots, you're not going to win. It's as, it's as simple as that. The only difference is James Harden went up against the juggernaut that is the Golden State Warriors. And then this year, the juggernaut that was the LA Lakers with LeBron James at the helm versus LeBron James who had a patty cake walk through the Eastern Conference for nine years in a row. So, I mean, if you put James Harden in the Eastern Conference in LeBron's shoes on all the, the same teams that LeBron's had, he's getting to the finals. Be, he's getting to the finals. He, exactly. He's, he's, getting, to the finals. he's getting to the finals exact, exactly as many times as LeBron did because, and I've made this claim before and I'll make it again, James Harden is the closest you get to LeBron James in today's NBA. 
for, for like pound for pound, what you get out of both those guys, LeBron James or James Harden is the closest that you can match to LeBron James, James's productivity in today's NBA. For sure. In an offensive package, the only player that compares to LeBron is James Harden. But what, what I do want to tell you, Jackson, is that when I saw the, how the Thunder series ended, I kind of got a, a uh, I got excited because I was like, these are little plays. These are the little plays that he didn't make before. And now he's making them. But when I went, when I saw the Lakers series, and maybe you disagree, and I want to see your take on this, I kind of feel like, man, can I just put Russ's attitude and character inside of James? Just like, like you are the best player. You are the best player on our team. Sometimes I just want you to take dumb shots. Is that is that bad of me to say? Like, so I, I want you to put the team on your back. And sometimes I feel like he can be a little too passive for my taste. Like what's your take on that? No, I, I, I do agree to an extent. Um, and that, again, a lot of that boils back down to Harden himself. He is absolutely a rhythm player above all else. He is, you know, he likes to get his lullaby dribble going. He likes to get his step backs. He wants to, he wants to be the conductor. He wants to orchestrate the offense to a T exactly how he wants yeah. it. And when opposing teams take him out of his comfort zone, he gets a little flustered. And hopefully, under Steven Silas, he can be the guy who can further unlock James Harden and show him easier ways to get to the spots that he wants so that he can have a chance to attack defenses before they can take him out of his comfort zone, right? You know, mm -hmm. and I think that, in a way, the dribbling that we see from James Harden, I like, you know, I know that, you know, Charles Barkley and other talking heads like to clown dribble, him for dribble, all the dribbling dribble, he dribble, does. Dribble. <laughs> yeah, but legitimately, I do think that, I don't want to say coping mechanism isn't the right terminology for it, but I do think that it's become almost like habitual for James where he needs that dribbling to be in rhythm to then hit his shots. I cannot count the number of times that James Harden has had a wide open shot at the three point line and has been forced to take a quick bounce, a rhythm dribble before shooting the three point shot. And there are times that he takes that dribble and a defender is able to rush out and get in front of him before the shot is attempted. And then he's picked up his dribble and he can't go anywhere. There are times when that happens or when he passes up a shot, because again, he waits to survey the defense and he's again, a little bit too, too passive at times, whereas, you know, ideally he could be a bit more cerebral. If he catches the ball and he's open, bam, just shoot it, right? Just, you know, if somebody else gets you a wide open look, take it because you never get any of those for yourself. You never get any wide open looks. I think there was a number, um, and I'm going off the cuff here. I hope it's right. I think that James Harden attempted throughout the eight seeding games in the bubble, he only attempted 11 catch and shoot three pointers where he was assisted on those threes or, you know, potentially assisted by somebody else. And he hit nine of them. So he <laughs> shot nine for 11 on catch and shoot threes. And it's just appalling thinking about the fact that you do have another legitimate playmaker in Russell Westbrook, another legitimate ball handler. And yet there was never any type of movement made to try and get James off the ball a bit more to make his life easier so that Russ could potentially facilitate the offense a little bit and maybe generate a wide open shot or two for James to get him going, to keep him in rhythm um, or to get him going in, in, in rhythm uh, rather than him having to generate all of the offense himself. So I'm excited to see what Silas is able to do in that regard to make James's life easier because we've seen the man be absolute, abs, just put on an absolutely dominant performance for the past eight years as a Houston Rocket, and he just hasn't had enough juice to get over the hump. But I do think that he's capable of being the best player on a championship team. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Um, it's just about having 
the right pieces around him, including a coach that can make his life a little bit easier so that he doesn't have to do everything himself to make things happen. Yeah. I'm excited to see a, a whole season with a health, with a healthy Russ. And, and, and it's funny how we forget that that was Russ's first year in Houston, you know? So this year he's only going to be more comfortable. He's only going to be more familiar. He's, he's only, he's only, he's going to get better from last year. So I'm excited to see them play together. And, and I'm with you, man. I think Harden has what it takes. I just really hope to be, I just hope to see him win a ring and I, I hope and pray it's with the Rockets, but I just hope to see him win a ring one day. Now, absolutely. He's he he needs a ring. I do not want him going down with the likes of Charles Barkley and Carl Malone. You know, those those, those guys is because honestly, at this point, if Harden were to stop his career today and just retire, I think you could make the argument that he's the best player that out of that group of guys that didn't ever make it to having a ring. I think you could argue that he's at that point. Um, and I think you can make the argument right now that he's already the fourth best shooting guard in NBA history. Um, behind the likes of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade, that's and it. And then, and and with a ring, uh, with a ring, and more than likely a Finals MVP, there's a legitimate argument to be made to put him over Dwayne Wade uh, potentially. So I, I think there's a lot riding on his legacy um, and whether or not he's able to achieve that. And like like you, I hope it's with Houston as well. One ring will jump him up so many spots in history, so many spots. But my last question is kind of, uh, I want you to have fun with it. I have something in mind, but I want to see if you and I are in the same wavelength. Okay. If you had your wish list for uh, for a player you'd like to add for next season, for a move that you'd like to see made, what player would you like to see in a Rockets uniform? A quick question, just to clarify. Is this a trade or do I just get to magically pick a player and he's just suddenly on the Rockets and they don't give, give, give me up? give me a realistic trade, a realistic trade with a realistic player? Because, I mean, obviously we could say LeBron, you know, but I want a realistic move yeah. that we could do. Because if I guess I'll get it started. I want Miles Turner. I have the Miles Turner bug. I think Miles Turner is realistic, kind of realistic because we'd have to. I don't know if they'd like the package we like to offer. I think we'd like to we probably have to offer Eric Gordon and Daniel House. Because uh, I feel like that that would match Miles Turner's money, but I feel Miles Turner would give us such a dynamic in a Russ and Harden lineup, in a Harden Turner lineup, and in a Russ Turner lineup. I feel like he's such a a perfect fit. I I'm completely on board with you. I agree with that. I think Miles Turner would be a phenomenal fit, but at this point, I do not think he can be had. Um, I think that because there was a report that came out and I cannot remember the gentleman's name, the former Raptors assistant who was hired as the new head coach of the Pacers apparently reached out immediately to Miles Turner and to Victor Oladipo to express his views for the team and how he plans to incorporate them because both of those mm -hmm. players had rumors about wanting out of the Indiana organization. Um, and it sounds like because of the uh, impact of the new head coach that they hired. It sounds like both of those guys are buying into what he wants to try and accomplish this next season, whether or not um, he actually delivers on these promises with, you know, TBD, just like Steven Silas. But I don't think that Miles Turner is going to be dealt anymore this offseason. So that kind of takes him off the table. I am personally very intrigued by the idea of jettisoning Eric Gordon to a team that is, you know, interested in his services, but that has the cap room to absorb him directly, thus generating a TPE for his salary of roughly 16 to 17 million a year. And then using that TPE to absorb another player, um, 
by then trading one of the remaining first round draft picks that the Rockets have, uh, as well as potentially if you, again, if you trade and I'll use the Kings as an example, right? You send Eric Gordon to the Kings who were on the cusp of making the playoffs, who could utilize, you know, a little bit more of a veteran presence in their locker room. You know, a guy who's a starting caliber player who had a bit of a down year. So you send Eric Gordon to the Kings, you request back a first round draft pick. I think that's a decent trade-off. Um, or potentially a pair of second round draft picks or something to that effect. You generate the TPE, then you flip that TPE plus one or two first round draft picks into a player uh, similar to uh, say a Serge Ibaka or a Christian Wood type via sign and trade, because if those players so choose, they can walk away from those organizations for nothing. But if those organizations want to recoup some value for them, then they could facilitate a sign and trade to the Houston Rockets and they would, either of those guys would be able to fit, you know, a, a $15 million salary, which is well within reason for both of them, uh, both Serge Ibaka and Christian Wood, uh, you know, sign them to a, a, you know, 15 or $45 million, three-year $45 million deal, $15 million a year, something to that effect, uh, deal them to the Rockets. And then that team, whether it's the Pistons or the Raptors, gets back two first round draft picks as a thank you for facilitating the sign and trade. Then the Rockets go in and they round out their roster. They would be hard capped if they received a player in a sign and trade, but that's not that big of a deal because let's face it. Are they going to be willing to pay the luxury tax anyways? Probably not. So it's not the end of the world if they're hard capped. Um, but the idea of having a big who is, uh, able to help anchor the defense a little bit as well as space the floor is an extremely attractive offense or option, I should say. Um, but I will also throw out that just legitimately, I really want to see Jeff Green in a Rockets jersey again. I think it's sure. a really he, excellent yes. dynamic with James Harden. Um, and he is probably the best, I will say he's probably the most versatile front court player that Harden has had in his eight years in Houston um, over the likes of. You, the other guys that come to mind, Josh Smith, uh, and, and Josh, Josh Smith uh, is the only comparable Demise. one, only comparable one. And when it comes to handles and, and kind of be able to pass Josh Smith is a good comparison. Uh, I, I, exactly. Um, so I, I think, think you, you can maybe make an argument for Chandler Parsons a little bit too, yeah. um, as far as, you know, handles and being a front court player and also, you know, being a, a bit of a facilitator at times, but legitimately watching James Harden run a pick and roll with Josh Smith, who is a threat to either step out and shoot the ball or a threat to roll to the rim or a threat to catch the ball on the bounce and then make a play for somebody else. Um, some of those uh, actions with, uh, you know, those one, five pick and rolls with James Harden and, and uh, Jeff green were absolutely uh, just mind bogglingly impressive throughout the playoffs because we hadn't seen anything like that for mm. years in Houston. And so it was really refreshing to see that. So I'd like to see that again uh, moving forward. But if Jeff green gets uh, a, uh, a sizable contract offer from another potential suitor, I don't think we're going to see him uh, in a rockets Jersey next year, unfortunately. So I think you and I are on board with suiting up a center again. Yeah, I, I think they need it. I, I think small ball, you know, served its purpose. And I think it continues when you look at what the, the teams were doing in the NBA playoffs, you look at, you know, the Raptors, the Celtics, um, the Lakers, to an extent, the Miami heat, all of them played a version of small ball, but they also had centers to be able to rely on in their roster. And it's also not fair to look at the Miami heat and the, and the LA Lakers and their versions of small ball, because Bam Adebayo is, is an undersized center. He's six, nine. And he's um, the best ver they're the best versions of that. Anthony Davis and Bam Adebayo, that's what you want in small ball. 
Absolutely. But, you know, at the same time, you know, Bam Adebayo's and Anthony Davis's don't grow on trees. Nope. So you can't just go snag one of those up in free agency and call it a day. So those teams have an inherent advantage because not only can they go small and be better at it than you, um, they can also go big, you know, and well, I apologize. The Heat can't, the, the, the Lakers can, but legitimately you need somebody who can be kind of a pseudo big, but also play small. And I think that's where we're seeing the league kind of trend to. Um, You can look at the Raptors and when they play Pascal Siakam at the five spot, or you can even look at uh, the Boston Celtics and playing Daniel Tice at the five. Um, Lots of teams are are navigating that way by having, you know, a guy who's, you know, six, eight to six, 10 at the center spot and able to switch out onto some of those smaller players without being left on an Island uh, defensively and being burned every single possession. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I think they need some type of a pseudo center uh, or even just a legitimate center to trot out for 15 to 20 minutes a night to take some of the burden off of PJ Tucker at the five spot. Yeah, we definitely have to have a more more versatile looking team to be able to play big, but, you know, to also be able to play small. I mean, I feel like the small ball experiment wasn't a failure. I'll tell you that I don't think it was a failure. I just think that uh, we need an extra layer to our team and, and a sensor. I think Christian Wood is an excellent uh, suggestion because Ibaka, Ibaka played well last year. He's going to get the bag somewhere. Someone's going to pay him. <laughs> if, if, if it's the, I don't know if it's the Raptors, but someone's going to pay Ibaka. Ibaka played pretty well, and he's exactly the kind of player you need in today's NBA. You know, absolutely, he's, no, no doubt about that. Man, well, Jackson, thank you so much for your time. I've, I've, I stole a lot of your time today, but I really do appreciate you coming by to first dwell on the uh, horrible news of Daryl Morey, but then to talk <laughs> about Silas and and what we want from the Rockets and what we can expect. But I, I really appreciate you coming on. Coming on, I would plug your stuff, your stuff, Locked On Rockets. But I'm pretty sure that, that everybody that follows me already knows who you are. So uh, you you would hope so. But if you don't already, um, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. Uh, the show is at Locked on Rockets. And then the blog that I run is at Clutch City CR. Um, that's where we post all our all of our content. Uh, and then, of course, as, as Wilfred already mentioned, the uh, the podcast itself, you can catch it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it's Locked on Rockets. During the season, we're five days a week. During the offseason, we do about two to three shows a week. But whenever there's breaking news, like today, um, filled with breaking news, we try to get an episode out as soon as possible to react and discuss to what's going on. But I'm super stoked that you've got your own podcast, man. I'm happy to be a guest whenever you want me, and I'm excited to see where you take this thing. Appreciate you, man. And hopefully it doesn't take another 12 years for us to catch up, huh? <laughs> All right. You know, we'll, we'll make it. We'll, we'll try to keep tabs on each other a little bit sooner than that. All right, bro. Thank you so much for talking to me, man. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. Thanks again to Jackson Gatlin for coming through and just talking Rockets with me. And I hope you guys also enjoyed the first episode of the Casual Fan Podcast. I'm brand new at this at this stuff, but I'm going to keep trying to pump on pump out content for you guys, whether it be basketball, which it's going to be mainly basketball, but baseball and football, we're just going to sit down and talk about sports. Well, thank you guys for listening. Follow me on Twitter at the casual fan podcast or my personal account, W.E. Venegas. And I can't wait for the next episode where we just sit down and talk sports. Be easy.